Join us on this episode of The Grind of a two-part conversation with Pastor Ryan Worley of Rooted Church in Northwest Arkansas. We talk about how to go from bivocational to full-time ministry. Part one next on The Grind. Welcome to The Grind, a church planting podcast by the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, full of practical tips, missional strategies, and personal stories to bring you insights and encouragement on your church planting journey. We're your hosts, Neil Scoggins and Greg Addison, coming to you live from Little Rock. Hello and welcome to The Grind Podcast. My name is Greg Addison. I work for the Arkansas Baptist State Convention and we're so excited to have you back for our next episode. And it's also always awesome to have our co-host Neil with us. Neil, brother, how you doing? Greg, good to see you, man. It is good to be good here. To it's yeah. always good. Yeah. So we're having good a good time. It's good to see you still because you're always moving. Hey, man, it's <laughs> it's harder to hit a moving target. You and know what you I'm go. saying? And I got enough people shooting at me every day. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. But you know what? You've been to, I will say this, and I have not given you your kudos. With the videos that are on the ABSC website, with everything that's going on, you are, dude, you're good. Oh, that's not true. You're, you're good. You're uh, turning uh, into, you know, some guy. I don't know who does yeah, it. Yeah, every day I'm turning to the guys like, how did I get in the middle of this? <laughs> You're the Merv Griffin now of... Yeah, uh, right. yeah thanks yeah, for which, that. Of all the people you could have chosen, that's what I get, Merv Griffin? But don't worry, nobody that listens to The Grind was born. They don't even know who, don't know who Merv Griffin hey, is. Merv Griffin was this hip, cool, 22-year-old guy who took the world by storm. Is that good? Yeah, hey. Y'all believe me? Raise there your you hand. go. If it were not for Google, they, they will be... <laughs> yeah, don't Google okay. that, people. Yeah, uh, don't Google Merv Griffin. That's it. Well, uh-uh. we uh, on that incredibly amazing segue, we we want to welcome this week's guest. Uh, Pastor Ryan is here with us. He has been on uh, the episode before. I think, yeah. So, with you so guys. Ryan, Ryan, it was two years ago. It was 2018. Ryan, Dave, uh, Dave, and, and Chad interviewed you, and I want to say Rodney Rambo when you guys started Rooted Church. Right. Yeah, and that was, uh, so when did you, so Rooted Church was planted, I don't know, I can't remember when, you got to remind yeah, me. So we got started, we, my wife and I moved down to Northwest Arkansas 2014, and uh, we had our, uh, kind of our, our launching day was uh, in 2015. Okay. Uh, so it's when we kind of got started and have, had, our, had our first public gathering, which we kind of celebrate our anniversary, was in January of 2016, so that's kind of a little of the progression of our, of our journey, but, uh, yeah, it's been a while now and, uh, it's been a, it's been a good run so far. Well, we are glad to have you back on the grind and Neil and I are here to apologize and make up for all the stuff that Dave and Chad did on that episode. So <laughs> that was actually a remote episode. This is what I remember. What am I right? Am I right, Ryan? Yeah, we, it, it was recorded right, right in our, in our church sanctuary on the stage. There you go. But here, well, and here's the problem. So in all of this high tech equipment, Dave forgot to bring all of the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, we're here to apologize there for whatever <laughs> Dave and Chad did. So pa- Pastor Ryan from Rooted Church in Northwest Arkansas, welcome to the grind. And yeah. we are glad to have you to the brand new grind. So you, so you started, so t- tell the story a little bit about uh, how the uh, Rooted Church got started and all of that and how you kind of, kind of got connected. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I, w- I was on staff with the church uh, in Columbia, Missouri and, uh, I long felt the call to plant a church. Um, 
And you know, I, I kind of put my yes, you know, uh, on the table and a long time ago. And I was just waiting for God to take that yes and put it on the map, like wherever that was going to be. And I was open to lots of places. And of course, over time and through many prayers, uh, he started to, to narrow the field of vision um, to Arkansas, which honestly was a complete and total surprise to me. Um, that, that was not on, on my beginning list of any places to go plant. Um, I hadn't really heard of the allure of Northwest Arkansas yet, um, but did have, I had some family that lived here. Um, so I made a couple of visits and man, it, it was just so quick. A uh, couple connections, couple relationships, and the Lord just really um, made it so clear that this is where he wanted us to be. And so, like I said, we came down in summer of 2014, um, really took some time just to get to know the city, the people. Um, I was, you know, working um, in the community, and things really started to kick off in 2015 for us, um, leading up to our public launch in 2016. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for us, it was a very a very slow, gradual process. I mean, we worked through the, the whole deal of, I mean, building a core team. I mean, I didn't come with a built-in core. Um, you know, I came with me and my wife at the time, three kids, and, uh, you know, and we just kind of took it step by step, family by family, person by person, um, building up church. And, uh, and that's what we're really still continuing to do today is person by person, family by family, um, just extending the reach of our church, um, in the region. Um, and so, yeah, that's like, we, we just celebrated four years officially in January. So we're, we started our fifth year, which we're excited about. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great, a great journey for us as a church. That's cool. Well, one of the things we really wanted to focus on today um, is that um, process of going from bivocational church planter and that story and starts and all that uh, to progressing to full-time as your church reaches that stage, uh, reaches a position where you're able, number one, or needs you, number two, or can afford it, number three, mm-hmm. <laughs> or all of those issues that go into that uh, decision-making process. So really today, uh, we wanted to, to, to talk with you about the process of how that occurs. Um, and I think that will be a help for a lot of guys. There are a lot of folks that... Um, that are struggling with that decision, how you make that. There are also guys on the front end when they put their yes on the table, as you just described, they're thinking, am I, am I signing up for this forever? <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. you know, how does that work? So uh, really we wanted to sort of unpack all that today. Yeah. Yeah. So w- was that the plan initially for you to be Bivo and stay Bivo or was it, w- what was the, what was the long-term plan when you guys came to Northwest Arkansas? Sure. Uh, so when I, when I was on staff in, at a church in, in Columbia, you know, I was, I was bivocational there too. You know, I had a okay. full-time job and then uh, served on the pastoral team. So I was, I was used to that, you know, kind of balance of, of working in the community and also having a lot of responsibilities at the church. And so um, in terms of just like ministry lifestyle day to day, that was something that was already familiar to me. And, uh, but I also mean, just convictionally, uh, you know, moving down here, um, I knew a couple of things to be true. Um, number one, you know, I'm stepping into a church planning context where, um, you know, I don't, I'm not bringing with me, um, a large established team and mm-hmm. I'm bringing with me a large established, you know, support raising fundraising base. Um, you know, I'm coming in, um, really to develop a fresh set of relationships, um, with some support, but definitely not enough to sustain a full-time salary. Um, I mean, so, so there's the, the practical idea of, um, that there's, there's going to have to be a season where, you know, I'm, I'm working to support and sustain my family, you know, outside of the church's ability to provide that. Um, 
but also just the idea of, you know, having worked in a, you know, being on a church plant staff before, you know, you know how budgets work Mm -hmm. and you know how uh, fluctuations happen. People Mm -hmm. come and go and you know that, you know, when it comes to church plant budgets, you've got personnel and you've got facilities. I mean, that, that can, that can do a number on what you're able to do. And so one thing that was important to me early on in our church planting is I didn't want our church plant to, in its earliest days, be so strapped for finances because it was um, burdened with paying my salary. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want us to have at least a season. I didn't know how long that would be, but I wanted it to be a season where our church, um, for whatever money we were able to raise and then you know collectively give together, could then be unleashed um, as generously and graciously as possible for ministry in the city and to prepare us for what was to come. Um, and then also, like I said, you know, just part of my conviction of being a new guy to town um, in Columbia, where I moved from, Columbia, Missouri, um, my job, man, it, it gave me networks and uh, opportunities and resources that I never would have had had I not uh, been in that role. Yeah, I knew people in the city. I knew leaders. I knew councilmen. I knew the mayor. I knew business owners. And I, and I love that opportunity. It was so incredible for our church, uh, provided so many good um just opportunities and just, man, man, great partnerships. And so that's one thing I wanted to develop here. And I knew a good way to do that was just, man, to work. And especially in a, you know, in a, in a job that put me in that type of position, which is why I chose to work um, for Washington Regional. So yeah. I was working for large healthcare uh, nonprofit. Um, and in my role, had a leadership role there where I was able to just make so many different, you know, inroads in the community that I still have today. Um, and so it was at the beginning of our church planning journey, it was the decision to be bivocational. Um, I mean, there's a need-based aspect to that because, okay, well, my church can't physically pay me. But you also have to view it from, okay, seasonally, this could be great for my church. Yeah. By me having my salary provided somewhere else, it's going to allow this brand-new baby you know, growth of a church to develop um, without a lot of big financial demands on it. And so I won't have an expectation of the church um, you know, which is actually kind of a freeing thing as, as a young church planter. Yeah. Uh, at least it was for me. Um, and it allows the churches to grow and mature as it does yeah. and uh, to develop the capacity financially um, and, and otherwise to be able to one day uh, possibly support somebody um, in a more full-time capacity. So that's, that's how I began. And, uh, and I was bivocational in some capacity for over five years um, before ever going full-time. And, uh, And so I just got into it with knowing, you know, I I know that there is probably a finish line uh, of this, but I don't know where that finish line is. And so I just knew at the very beginning, I'm going to step into this knowing it's good for this season of my ministry, however long this season might last. Something you keep saying over and over again is that you went in with the end in mind. You went in having the conversation. I don't know if you said it out loud, but you went in with that personal uh, vision, if you will, to say, you know what? Okay. I know I need to know the community. Here's a way to do it. Uh, being bivocational because it worked in Columbia, but you knew that at some point you would get there. I, you know, we talked about it earlier about a lot of times we go through church planner training, we go to, you know, workshops and seminars, and we talk about models of, of launching models of planting. And I've never really, 
uh, as a planter, I've never really had anybody to explain to me that you can migrate from one to the other. That was that's never a conversation. And the only re, you know way that it came up, but for you to talk about that, and I think that's freeing to a lot of guys. And it may run, you know, before it would run some guys away and say, hey, I got to be Bavo, you know, Bavo for a purpose, but you still got to, you know, like Greg was saying earlier, you still got to take care of your wife and your kids and, you know, got by lollipops and all that other stuff. And you had three kids. Now you got, you know, 372. How many kids you have now? I think you. Six kids. Yeah. That's- it's a, lot of, it's a lot of humans to be responsible for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's, that's one right. method of church growth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, I'm trying to just trying to be obedient to scripture. Just keep on adding those kids in. So there you go. There you go. All right. So let's say, so let's, all right. So you start out that way. So let's paint the picture of your church when you really began to truly wrestle with um, I need to begin to pray through or consider full time. Sort of paint the picture of the church. What's happening? You know, kind of size, pastoral demands, uh, budget. Just the picture of the various things that go into that. So here's where we are, and and now God really begins this 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 discussion with you. We've got to transition. So what does it look like? Sure. Um, so. For us, you know, I, I, as a church, you know, we, we started having the conversations early. I mean, so th- it was not like a, something that was like a, a, a you know, six-month deal. Like we started, okay, six months later, it's all figured out. And we're talking like it was probably three years, maybe even four years in the making of like one day what would it look like um, to have me be full-time um, or have somebody full-time. And, you know, so talking with the elders, talking with leaders about, okay, what would that look like? Um what would need to be in place, what financially, what type of financial benchmarks would we need to be, you know, hitting, um, what would need to be present within our body? Like, like you said, Greg, how many people would really necessitate that? Um, and then what, what does that look like position with the rest of our ministry? So it was, it was a, a long conversation, one that was not rushed. Um, one that we really try to think a lot through about one day that would look like. So this is yeah. a lot more strategic than, uh, hey y'all, I'm really tired. Y'all need to give more so I can quit my day job. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think Greg, what you hit on there is I think a really important thing is a lot of times for the Bible guy, is they're super tired. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then the the, the move to full time, it almost becomes like a desperation. Like mm. I have to make that move, or I'm just not going to make it. Um, and I think that. Some of that is, um, man, I, I felt that. Like, I, I felt like when I went full-time, I felt like I had run my last lap that, like, God could have asked me to run mm-hmm. before I was like, okay. Like, I kind of fell across the finish line. Like, all right, Lord, I, I was faithful for as long as you asked me faithful, and that's about as much as I could give. Because um, there's no I, such thing as a part-time pastor of a church plant. No. no. You, you have two full-time jobs, not, not one <laughs> and a half or whatever. And, uh and so a lot of guys just get really, really tired, and that makes the decision feel a lot more emergent. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes it, it works out to make that decision quickly. But, you know, as, as we experienced, you really have to have a good alignment um, across, you know, not just the, what's happening at church, what's happening at your, your job in the community, but also what's happening in your family to have all of those things line up well, that each of those is in a good, healthy spot to make that transition. So it's a good, healthy transition because if you make a transition as a tired Bible guy, chances are you might just become a tired full-time guy 
without hmm. the, the structures right. that are in place to help that transition be really well. That's good. Because if, if and here, and here, there's a lot of things that contribute to this. Um, one is that I think a lot of Bible guys have a very unfair perspective of themselves that they think I am less than my peers because I am bivocational as if they're in like a subclass of pastor or planter. Mm, well, I'm, I'm just a Bible guy. Well, there is no just about it. Like if you're a bivocational, Amen. Pastor, you are a bivocational pastor. That's good. Amen. And that's something not to shrug your shoulders about or feel like you are less than any of your peers. And in fact, I would argue with, um, with great, uh, great eagerness to say, man, if you, if you think that, oh, well, there's just a Bible guy. Well, you try and keep up if you're a full-time guy with the Bible guy That's and right. you will run out of steam 10 laps before that Bible guy. And he is still running. That's right. He how to juggle and delegate and be efficient and, and navigate things that, you know, you may not. So, it, it, that's one thing I want a lot of, like for any Bible guy listening to this, is to understand, do not look at yourself or think of yourself as less than your peers. Um, you are in an incredible um, opportunity to lead, love, and serve your church. And if God happens to have you in a season of bivocational ministry, don't view that as just a burden to bear or something you want to get through as fast as possible because, um, yeah, you're, you're not doing anything less than any of your peers. Um, you're doing a fantastic job for the kingdom, and just be faithful in that. That's That's a, a word, that man. is a great word. Yeah. Arkansas Baptists as a whole are not investing all of the time and prayers and resources and support and all that into church plants because they view those guys as less than. Right. <laughs> they right, are right. investing because we believe in God's calling and who they are and what they're doing. That's a yeah. great word, Ryan. Thank you yeah. for encouraging folks in that. So I think as, as guys, if they, can, if they can be comfortable where they are um, and in that identity and not just feel like, well, I got to kind of bump up to the next level. Um, if you can be, if you be content where you are, I think that's the first thing about a good transition is to be content where you are, even if it is difficult so that you don't view the full-time transition and some sort of like, like Oasis, like, yeah. type thing. like it's mirage in the desert. Like I mean, as soon as I get to full time, everything is going to be okay. Because the first thing I'll tell you is really not that much is going to change in your life. Um, I mean, it's not like, well, I'm, I'm going to be so much more rested. I'm going to have so much less responsibility. I'm going to be so much more available. I mean, you're still like, what, whatever you trade off with your Bible job, you're just going to absorb, right. you know, stepping into a full-time capacity at the church. It's not like you're going to have the same amount of hours to dedicate to the same tasks you had before. You're going to have more hours to dedicate to more tasks and more people and more meetings and more responsibility. And so, um, and that is great. And that, that'll forge you a lot of opportunities, but don't, don't make it out to be something that um, is going to to be like the silver bullet for your ministry yeah. or for personally. It can certainly be a great transition in many ways. It has been for me. Um, but I think you just have to have a good perspective of your current situation as a bivocational pastor, um, not begrudging it, um, be faithful in it as long as the Lord has you, and then also a good perspective of the, the potential of being full-time, of not viewing that as the end-all, be-all of your ministry, um, as if it is like the promised land. Yeah. Um, ha- have a good, accurate measure of both of those. And I think that is a key to have that transition be well, because I think you walk into that transition with good expectations of what this new role looks like um, and, and what that means for yourself, but also what it means for your family and what it means for the church. Yeah. In some ways, my being full time at church 
puts even more demands on my family than when I was bivocational. Wow. Um, because my job at the hospital, uh, I mean, for the most part, at five o'clock, it stopped. Um, I got very few after hour calls with my role. Yeah. Um, Full time job at the church, man, it's not as easy. You know, five o'clock is just five o'clock. It doesn't <laughs> stop the phone call from coming in at eight o'clock or nine right. o'clock or 10 o'clock. Um, so, there, there are costs on both sides of that, that I think for guys, it's just really good to weigh. And um, yeah, and I, and I think once you have a good perspective of both, I think it, it puts you in a position where you can make a transition. And so that's what we tried to have as we were looking at it as a church, um, is try to have a really good perspective. And I think, Greg, you asked about numbers. I think we were probably about, I don't know, 65, 75 people um, when we really started thinking seriously, okay, um, we can see on the horizon that full-time is not merely a possibility for us, but full-time is probably going to be a real asset to the future growth of our church. Do you, um, do you make that, I don't mean to cut you off. Do you make that in, in, do you make that decision yourself or do you start to think about that yourself or do you wait until the membership prompts you or the other leaders prompt you to say uh, they may not say hey, I wish you were not Bavo but you know what I'm saying are you looking what are you looking for for you other than that unction of God to say hey you know what this is what I need to do is there something that you're looking for in the membership to kind of key you to say you know what I may need to kind of shift a little bit sure yeah that's a good question Neil uh, so one thing I try to really be careful of as a Bavo guy was I did not want to be a complainer. I did not want to be a, um, like, well, if I only had more time or always act like I was super hurried or stressed out or uh, overburdened. Um, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily want to hide those things either, but I didn't want to always be like, put that out there, hoping that what I got back in return is, well, you know, maybe you should be full-time. Like I was fishing for yeah. that response from them. Now I was honest with our leaders, you know, if they would, if they would ask me or if I would tell them what was going on, um, but what I was listening for, you know, which I think a good way to, to, to phrase that with your congregation is to listen is when they would start mentioning to me and asking me, like, how is it going balancing, mm. you know, stuff at, at, at the hospital and, and stuff at the church? Um, cause I, I knew that they were starting to be aware and to be concerned about me and my role. Gotcha. Um, and they started asking questions about, yeah, like, well, what, you know, you, if you, you know, are able to do this for the church now, what do you think you could do? Like, what would it look like if you did more? Like their curiosity was peaking, um, which knew that was a signal to me that meant that this conversation could kind of continue to unfold and move forward because our people were more and more ready to have that conversation. Yeah. And some of that was, um, just organic from people's own curiosity. And some of it was from like our other elders, uh, like when we had members meetings would discuss, this like they would bring it up um and they would help lead our people to think and consider this as well that's good and that goes back i guess what you were saying earlier about if it's in the dna of the start yeah of the vision of growth and reaching people yeah. then there's a healthier environment in which that conversation can, can flow from, yeah. at the appropriate times is that a fair 
Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think a lot of times in church planting, um, you know, so many things are fluid. And, and from the day you begin to even five years later, you know, Neil, you can attest to this. Um, what you said on day one, things were going to look like, man, <laughs> it many days down the road before like, wait a minute, it looks nothing, nothing. like I thought I was going to look like. Not a thing. Um, yeah, but I think having, having a culture of openness um, where you do discuss these sorts of things, and, and for, I think for everybody, it's just so that, that you're putting out the right expectations and you're communicating those to people. So you don't have, what you don't want to have is the, is the Bible planter who is kind of silently suffering, wishing the people around him noticed and knew that he's drowning because he's overwhelmed, he's overworked, and he's tired. And he really, in the deep thoughts of his mind, is thinking, I probably can't do this anymore. Yeah, um, That's going to spill over into his family. It's going to spill over into his preaching, his ministry, his people. Um, so what you really need, I think, the biggest thing from your church is just a good, um, a good culture of pastoral care where they are caring for their pastor, um, whether hmm. he is in a Bible role or he's in a full-time role. Because you can do just fine in a Bible role if your people are engaged knowing, hey, my pastor is bivocational. What that means is my expectations of him need to be in line with the bivocational pastor, not of a guy that's working 40 hours plus a week. Yeah. And I need to know that, well, I can't just say, well, can't Pastor Ryan do that? Well, no, he can't because Pastor Ryan is currently working. That means that I can do that or somebody else can do that. And you can step up and have a culture where people, um, you know, increase their own personal involvement yeah. because of the meeting of the church, um, rather than just looking at the Bible guy to do what a full guy, full-time guy would do that. That's where those expectations on the pastor can seem really daunting. Yeah. All right. So let's kind of get, and every church is going to be different. Um, economics are different where you are versus, you know, Sparkman and Northland oh, yeah. or whatever, yeah. or El Dorado or Paragool yeah. or Wynn. So um, and it, maybe you're in a principal way, if you can, give us sort of the key benchmarks as you began to talk with, as the conversation began to flow more back and forth between you and your elders and your people. Um, what, what were the benchmarks that you kind of set for your church to know it's not a reasonable discussion until we get there or we need to plan for that? Can you give us kind of an idea? Sure. So what we did was, uh, you know, just from a, from a financial perspective, we looked at the budget and said, okay, if we start plugging in, you know, full-time salary type numbers, um, what does that do to our budget picture? And for us, we always tie, you know, our budget's tied to our vision. So we want the numbers that are reflected on the budget to reflect the vision that we're preaching and sharing and calling our people towards. And so we want to make sure that as we're inputting things in there, whether that's a facility number, a salary number, a, you know, an outreach number, that... As, as we do the math per se, does it like get us to equals to our vision? Like, is this going to lead us to the vision that we're saying as a church that we're all about? And so that's one of the first general things I would say about the consideration is, you know, as you're putting it in financially, make sure that that does not um, cause a shift for you significantly um, in terms of your, your budgetary availability to fulfill mm -hmm. your vision. So a way I might, you know, express that. What, if you have a young church plant and uh, they've got a guy that's currently BIVO and they've got a facility charge, you know, they're paying a lease or a rent somewhere, they've got outreach stuff, they've got this out of the other, and they're thinking, okay, well, let's go full time. Well, then what does that do to the rest of your budget? 
Like, does full-time obliterate your ability to do any sort of outreach, any other support for any other ministry? Does it obliterate your ability to, like, does it, like, kind of hamstring you in terms of, like, well, we can pay you, but we, we literally can do nothing else. Yeah. Like, our ability to be involved missionally is, is going to be hampered. Um, it's going to put us in a financially vulnerable position from facility. Like, yeah, we can make the numbers work, but, man, one leaky roof away from maybe things being a little bit detrimental. Um, all of those things would in some way impact your availability or, or your ability to complete your vision as a church. So what I would tell people is as you put that number in there, make sure you have the right margin so that um, it's not going to hamper you and limit you to say, well, yeah, you know, we used to support the soup kitchen, but you know, we, we went more of a full-time capacity. So we really mm. we just can't do that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah, we used to do the big outreaches, but yeah, you know, we just can't really do that anymore. Um, because, you know, once again, you don't want to put yourself in a budget per- perspective where, you know, now you can no longer do anything because you're paying a full-time guy. At yeah. least that was for us. That was an important consideration for us. Other people may be different, but we wanted to still be financially available um, to our congregation and to our community to invest um, and not feel like, well, uh, we can pay him. We can barely keep the lights on and that's about it. Mm. So we wanted to wait until we had the financial capacity to be able to really do what we wanted to do as a church, missionally outreach, um, and even do things like as a church plant, support other church plants. Like we didn't want to be like, well, we support these other three church plants, but we're going to have to cut them off now because we're bringing on full-time guy. Um, that's just convictionally for us as a, as a leadership team, we wanted to still be able to be active um, missionally um, while, while still, you know, growing our staff. Uh, we did not want that to be the only thing our budget was spent on. So I think that's a big thing is to make sure you have margin to still do ministry. Um, number two, make sure that as you account for, uh, you know, your, your salary dollars, that you're not just looking month to month, like you're looking quarter to quarter, year to year and that, okay, yeah, we can sustain this this month, but what happens if you do have a downturn? Like what happens if you have a pandemic, for example, and if your operating margin is so thin that you can barely scratch together enough to make your payroll each month, um, maybe that's not the best time to go full-time. Yeah, maybe you need to wait until your capacity's, you know, 10, 15, 20% greater so that, uh, you know, there's not a, a big instability there in terms of, um, well, we can, we know we can pay you this month, but next month we don't really know for sure. And we don't have a, a big savings or big reserve to account for other big things that might happen. Um, I, I think practically, um, those are some things that were really important for us. Um, and then, yeah, just knowing that, you know, how, how does a church's availability line up with the pastor's need? Yeah. Um, you know, cause the, those expectations may not always be the same of, well, here's what the church can do, but all right, does that adequately meet the needs of the pastor? And um, just because it's a full-time salary, you know, that, okay, well, we can pay you full-time at this rate. Well, maybe that doesn't meet the full needs of the pastor and what right. uh, to care for his family. Because um, uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, as, as, as a church member of my own church, as we, you know, look to, to pay people in the future, I want them to be cared for well. Yeah. And if they're going to make the decision to, be be in a full time capacity. They have the the resources they need to do that um, you, you, with, with, a, with a reasonable level of comfort. Yeah, you talked about a couple of things earlier. One is I like the fact that you were saying now uh, that 
you know, you wait for that benchmark. Hey, are we, what are we sacrificing if we make that, if we make that next move? Man, Amen. awesome word. Awesome word. Thanks you for, thank you so much for joining us here on The Grind. Uh, make sure you uh, check us out. If you have any questions, you can email us at thegrind at absc.org. Another episode of The Grind. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Grind. We hope you learned something new and found some encouragement along the way. To learn more about church planting in Arkansas and to find more resources, visit absc.org and click the church planting tab. Be sure to rate and review us if you like what you heard. Until next time, keep grinding.